Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is. Friday, the 10th of February, 2023. That means that in four days, it'll be Valentine's Day. And if that's meaningful to you, then chop, chop, get on it. Um, also, my big question this morning, why do dogs bark at the moon? Like, I, I, yeah, I, Madam barks a lot. Her name is Millie. She's our youngest dog. Um, and she's obsessed with the moon. And today it's very bright. And um, <clears throat> she's, yeah howling her head off so there you go why do dogs howl at the moon like this is this is a big question i have burning this morning welcome to mornings with carmen i'm carmen laberge this is faith radio you might have a burning question on your mind you can uh, post it to me i may or may not answer it but there you go i mean some questions just need asking right uh so you can ask me anything the text line's always open 877-933-2484 so glad to be with you today Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Mark chapter 12. Again, uh, during this month of February, all of our uh, verses have a theme until we get up to the season of Lent, which is fast approaching. And then we're going to turn our attention together to reading um, through the Bible in preparation for Holy Week and Easter. We'd love for you to join us in that Lenten um, study. You can do so uh, by signing up today at MyFaithRadio.com, reading through the Bible together during the season of Lent. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31. Jesus replied, so he's obviously been asked a question. What's he been asked a question about? He's been asked a question, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second commandment is equally important, Jesus says. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So when asked to rank the commandments, Jesus does not talk about specific sins. He talks about righteousness. He points people in the positive righteous direction. Positively do these things. The most important commands Um, are to acknowledge the God who is one and only one and love him with all that you are and all that you have, all that you think and all that you do, uh, and, and love others as you love God because you are an image bearer of God and, and so is everybody else. So those are like Jesus ranking commandments, uh, in a, in a positive frame. Jesus does not say that the greatest commandment uh, is one of the no-nos or the must-nots. Jesus points to affirmative commandments. And in so doing, he's not only issuing like a positive calling, 
He's pointing to what um, Chesterton described as the expulsive power of a new affection. Like when our um, when our heart worships idols, when when our heart makes space in it for lesser loves, those lesser loves, whatever they are, um, they may even be relatively good things, but they are lesser loves nonetheless. And they need to be expelled. Um, but you can't do that by saying, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to, I'm going, instead, you just have to start doing the right thing. It's the expulsive power of a new affection. So love God and love neighbor. And in that, you know, the things that you're not supposed to be doing will be expelled. Jesus knows the human heart. Um, he knows how easily we are attracted to lesser loves. He also knows how much we love ourselves. And so commanding us first to listen, to, to hear, and then directing our attention to the reality of the one true God. God, Jesus then says, is the only, only one worthy of our love, our attention, our devotion, all that we desire, our passion, our pursuit, our labor, our thoughts, our words, our deeds. And then Jesus sets next to the love of God, the love of fellow human beings, because they are image bearers of the God who alone is worthy of our love. So, as you consider yourself, so too consider the one who is next to you, across from you, whoever um, in your purview is in need of mercy, which is how Jesus goes on to define neighbor through the telling of the um, parable of the Good Samaritan. For in loving neighbor whom you have seen, you are demonstrating the love that you have for God operating in and through you. See how it all works together? It all works together, all these, uh, all these love verses and, and the love of the God who is love. So I'm going to encourage you to um, spend some time today in Mark chapter 12, 29 to 31, um, and consider the love of God. Consider the command to love God first and foremost, and then to love neighbor as we love ourselves. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. And up next, the question of, is revival actually breaking out in America? Is revival upon us? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, uh, Cecile is on the text line this morning. She and her husband are alums of Asbury University, which is at the center of my attention right now. Um, Yesterday, actually two days ago now, February the 8th, on the morning of February the 8th during the chapel service, um, revival broke out. Like, there's no other word for it. Revival broke out, and it is still going on. Uh, Dr. Matthew Sleeth alerted us to us to this yesterday morning when he was with us here on air. And so um, I then um, started, you know, searching around, scratching around for more information. Here's what I have for you today. A student at Asbury is um, posting at the asburycollegian.com. I will put the links in the show notes for today. She says this, I've been, this is uh, her post from 
um, yesterday morning, so 24 hours ago, roughly. I've been in Hughes Auditorium for almost 12 hours now without an intent to leave anytime soon. Peers, professors, local church leaders, seminary students surround me, all of them praying, worshiping, and praising God together. Voices are ringing out. People are bowing at the altar, arms stretched wide. A pair of friends cling to each other, um, one in tears. A diverse group of individuals crowd the piano, flawlessly switching from song to song. Um, Some are sitting with me, laptops open, but no one wants to leave. No one expected this to happen, not on a random Wednesday for sure, Yet we sit and sing about God's love pouring out and his goodness. She goes on um, to talk about the revival that um, started uh, basically this week in 1970 on the same campus. Um, And you and I know that that um, redounded across the country in really significant ways. Definitely a part of what we now call the Jesus Revolution, that film coming out soon. Like God is up to something, people. And so um, she then went on to post a follow-up article yesterday. We want more of you and less of us, is the quote. She says, at the 32-hour mark, those are the words that ring out across Hughes Auditorium as revival involving Asbury University and the Wilmore, Kentucky community continues. So this is already already bigger than, um, you know, what's happening for students on a campus or faculty on a campus. The Wilmore, Kentucky community um, is showing up. Uh, the most recent pictures that I've seen are from about seven hours ago in the middle of the night, posted on Twitter. Um, it is packed to the gills, people. Like, from to the rafters, that uh, that chapel is packed with people of uh, of every age and stage. Um, there, Some of them, their hands are raised, uh, many of them with hands on each other, praying in little holy huddles. Um, there are musicians with, like, random instruments spread around. Uh, it's It's... It is extraordinary to behold. Um, so uh, so she goes on in this article to say, typically, we're told to think of ourselves more and prioritize ourselves or our wants and our desires. But this revival just isn't about us. It's not about trying to recreate history. Um, it has been and will continue to be all about Jesus Christ. She says, in the words of an Asbury Jr., Dakota Poole, who stood up and just said, he is enough. Indeed, uh, he is enough. So there have been calls to confession, during which she says uh, more than 100 people fell to their knees and bowed at the altar, hands rested on shoulders, linking individual people together to represent the body of Christ. Cries of addiction, pride, fear, anger, bitterness sounded, each followed by a life-changing proclamation, Christ forgives you, Christ forgives you, Christ forgives you. Um, it's going on. It's ongoing. Uh, this is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit descends upon a people. Um, and I don't want to fail to recognize what's happening in the moment. What is God doing? What is happening? <laughs> the people of Asbury and Wilmore, Kentucky, say to everybody else, well, come and see, come and see. You can watch videos on um, on both Twitter and Facebook. I've got, um, I've got the two articles posted on my Facebook feed. There's a guy named Tom McCall who is there. He's posting... On Twitter as well, he keeps circling back in um, to what's happening, even in the midst of, you know, like trying to manage his like, quote unquote, regular life. And there's evidence um, that God is on the move in other places as well. Like prisoners have been getting baptized in the state of Indiana at record numbers, so much so that, you know, atheists are all up in arms like what's happening Uh, during a Super Bowl huddle for hope on February the 8th, hundreds of people 
Hundreds of people bowed down in confession before the Lord, and some of them asked right then to be baptized. In the football world, um, you know, Damar Hamlin stands up and in receiving an award says, you know, my most favorite statement out there is blessed to be a blessing. People's hearts have been strangely turned toward God through that one man's injury on the field. And um, and suddenly it was okay for the whole world to be praying together. Uh, nobody complained about thoughts and prayers. Everybody got on their knees and begged God to act. So that's the football world. And there's like bachelor world. And you say to yourself, I don't even know if you're familiar with that. Well, you know, like the bachelor and the bachelorette, like actually still an ongoing thing in the culture. Hard to believe, but happening. Um, and there's a little bit of a of a revival outbreak there as well. The Collegiate Day of Prayer is coming up on February 23rd. You can go to collegiatedayofprayer.org and sign up to specifically pray for God to fall upon particular college campuses across the country. But ultimately, revival starts with individuals. It starts when individual people are overcome by the Spirit of the living God. And so as we pray for revival, we have to be open to it ourselves. As we pray for revival, we have to be open to it ourselves. There is a a one-at-a-time nature to the way revival comes. One human heart at a time. So as we pray, come Holy Spirit, fall afresh. We don't just pray that for our country or for people walking in darkness that we can identify from where we stand. We say, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. All right, what should we talk about next? Um, I'm surveying the headline news of the day, and there's a lot out there that we could be talking about. I want to absolutely continue to be lifting up um, ardent prayers and mobilizing resources for the people of Turkey and Syria. Um, the death toll there has has uh, surpassed 21,000. That That's going to rise, I mean, still potentially exponentially. I, I There are entire buildings um from which no one has emerged alive. And so there are entire families um, who are not yet counted as deceased because nobody's looking for them. Nobody has been saying this person is missing and we need to go look for them because the entire, um, the entire building um, lies in rubble. And so uh this is a, not a story that's going away anytime soon. And the needs of the people who have survived are now going to be in absolute survival mode. Um, there, there is now a generation of orphans um, in this region who are going to um, need care. Um, everyone is traumatized. Everyone, everyone in the region is traumatized. You can't 
experience these things, nor witness these things, nor live through these things and not experience a deep, deep trauma. And so um, the needs of the people in this region were already great, um, already millions of Syrian refugees in this particular um, region, um, people already displaced from from their homes and their communities, just seeking to survive. And and now this. And so um, let's be let's be lifting up not only ardent prayers, but let's be uh, supportive of surging resources into these places, not just right now, but for the long haul. Um, lots of stories uh, across the headline news about really horrifically awful um, murder investigations and cases uh, across the United States. The you know developments in the case in Idaho, um, where an individual took the lives of four students, a mother in Massachusetts. There are developments in that case related to the cocktail of psychotropic drugs, the antipsychotic drugs that um, she had been uh, prescribed, and how those uh, very likely interacted together to produce in her um, a, a state of mind that none of us could really imagine. And then the Alex Murdaugh uh, case in South Carolina. Um, where he is accused of taking the life of his wife, his wife and his son. Um, I know that if you're paying attention to the headline news at all, these are some of the lead stories, particularly depending where you live. Um, in each and every one of these cases, let, let's be people who are not fascinated by the forensics and the um, sort of horrible details. Um, but let's be people who recognize that we're talking about human life. And we're talking about um, not only these perpetrators as very much needing um, uh, help um, and, and survivors very much needing for justice to be done. But the loss of the lives that we're talking about, many of them very young, very young, little children in Massachusetts, college students in Idaho, a 22-year-old son in South Carolina. Um, let's be praying for emerging generations. Um, this is a hard time. Uh, it's a hard time to be a kid. And that leads me to this uh, final story that caught my attention this morning. 230,000 kids are missing. 230,000 kids are missing from the public school system in the United States of America. They vanished. They vanished during COVID and nobody knows what's going on with them. Hundreds of thousands of students around the country disappeared from public schools during the pandemic, and they have not resumed their education anywhere. The Associated Press is reporting on this. It's an analysis by the AP and Stanford University's um, big local news project. 230,000 students in 21 states whose absences cannot be accounted for since the start of the pandemic. They're literally missing and early on, there were efforts across the country like, you know, oh, let's go door to door and let's see how kids are doing and let's be sure that, you know, we're checking in on them. Um, those efforts have ended. And what um, school districts, the reason that we know that they're missing is that school districts are like, where are the kids? Because that's that's money. That's money. They're not looking for the kids out of like genuine concern for the kids. These are like their districts are now facing fiscal challenges because these students didn't come back. Every student represents money from the city, state, and federal government. 
this got me thinking not only that we ought to be um, looking in our own communities at kids who are uh, literally dropping through the cracks by the hundreds of thousands. It got me thinking about churches across the country. Um, church attendance is in the headline news. Everybody is talking about post-pandemic church attendance. Um, and there have been surveys and studies. AEI just did a big one. And most churchgoers actually did return after the pandemic in much the same way that most public school students returned after the pandemic. But with the case of public school students, 230,000 did not. In the case of churches, millions did not. So who are they and where are they? Who in your church has not returned? Is it you? And do do church leaders, are they going to start to care because, you know, well, budgets are going to be off? Or do we actually, you know, care about the people who have fallen through the cracks? Are we going door to door to get them to ask, where have you been? We miss you. And if it's you, if it's you, let me invite you to, you know, come home, come back home. The church needs you and you need the church. All right, uh, let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado, and then our friend Chris Martin is going to be here today as well. We'll talk a little bit more of that in just a moment. But hey, um, text me this morning. Let me know you're out there. Let me know the questions you have. If you haven't returned to church, I'd love to um, I'd love to know why. Um, if you're missing people from your church, I'd love to hear about that as well. 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, in news you probably uh, may not even need to know, but, you know, the world is abuzz today because former President Donald Trump is back on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So the Washington Times is reporting that Meta has restored former President Donald Trump's access to Facebook and Instagram, allowing his return for the first time since banning him um, some two years ago. Uh, Mr. Trump did not immediately post on the platform. Um, his most visible post on Facebook uh, is most recent visible post on Facebook is from January 6, 2021. Um, now, I bring this up this morning because um, we love to talk with Chris Martin about all things social. And um, he is the one from whom I first learned that social media providers are providing you an opportunity to be on their platform because you are the product. That's why they let people on there. And so what do Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram gain by allowing the former president of the United States back on their platform? That should be the question that we're asking. Um, And then we should also ask, why am I there? Why am I on Twitter? Or why am I on Facebook? Or why am I on Instagram? And do I recognize that I am the product in terms of those companies? Um, and why they let me use their platform um, to to speak my piece, whatever that might be. So Chris Martin helps us understand what's happening in the world uh, of social media. And we're going to talk with him also today about developments in AI and how both Microsoft and Google are um, are adding AI features into search. Um, after the advent of chat GPT, which we've talked about um, as well uh, here. And I know that that all sounds like a foreign language, which is totally okay, because Chris will be here to help us um, 
define it all. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Chris Martin is joining us. Uh, he blogs at the Terms of Service blog. He's got a forthcoming book we want to um, we want to chat about today as well. He serves at Moody Publishers. Chris, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thanks for having me again. Good to be here. All right. So the book, the book is um, is soon to be forthcoming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the book comes out in less than a month now. Uh, the Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways. Social media threatens the people you lead. Uh, Tuesday, March 7th is when that will release. And yeah, second book in two years. Been a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, but yeah, where, whereas Terms of Service, my last one that we've talked about before, was more focused on, hey, like, what's my relationship with social media and what do I do about it? More of kind of like a mirror. This one you could say is a bit more like a magnifying glass. What's social media doing to the people I lead You know, in my life, whether that's in my home or in my ministry and how can I help them have a more healthy relationship with social media as I try to lead and shepherd them? So, yeah, it comes out in uh, just under a month. That's so good. We're going to be praying with you about that, and we're going to certainly be talking with you about it when it um, when it's available. Um, right now at Terms of Service, um, which, is, which is Chris's way of engaging with us on an ongoing um, way through his newsletter on Substack. Uh, we have the Unabomber, Inflatable Clowns, and Internet Villains. Oh, sir, good sir, read us in. <laughs> so I had a friend who texted me as soon as I this email went out on Tuesday that said, uh, did Chris just send out a newsletter that's a punchline <laughs> to a Karnak the Magnificent <laughs> joke? And at first, like, I laugh because I'm vaguely familiar with that character from Johnny Carson's old show. But I went and watched, I just need to say, uh, I went and watched some of the old clips on YouTube of of that bit. And it just, it was hilarious. Now, some of them are borderline inappropriate, so be aware. But they're they're quite funny. And it, it does sound like, what do these three, three things have in common? You know, it's like, what's the punchline going to be? But uh, yeah, so I, I read... Um, uh, I read an article a while back that was going about this this term called surrogate activities, which we can get into or not. It doesn't really matter. But the idea is that um, when we start to lack struggle in our lives, when our lives start to become quite comfortable um, and we, you know, we're not, you know, these days we're not, most of us at least aren't like foraging for food, not trying to find you know, shelter each each day for our heads, like you know, our ancestors were. Unfortunately, many people still are fighting that battle today. But most we're not we're not living in this sort of agrarian society where we're like hunting and gathering for our own food every day, and we're not always wondering if the next day is going to be our last because we're going to become prey of some predator or something. We're in a very comfortable age as far as history is concerned, and when we get into this comfortable age, it's really easy to engage in what's called surrogate activities, which I believe appears in in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World a bit, but also was sort of popularized, I guess you could say. Like when I was Googling about the term and like how it's often used, uh, Ted Kaczynski's Unib- The Unabomber in his manifesto, he, he uses this term a lot. And I'm, I'm not one to prop up the Unabomber, but he makes a really good point about how in in life when we have a lot of comfort, we engage in surrogate activities where we have this sort of artificial goal that we pursue for the sake of fulfillment. 
because our regular life is not interesting or uh, advantageous enough to us. So if if we just kind of get bored with our normal lives, you know, maybe we don't love our job and our our family isn't as enticing and interesting as it once was. Or maybe, you know, we got teenagers, we're sick of them or whatever. And we just kind of don't love or, or, or like where we're at. We can kind of set up these activities, these missions, these goals, objectives in our lives that are really not related to our career, not related to our family. They're surrogate activities. They're things that we um, are looking for to fulfill us but don't have any real tangible reward other than our own sort of self-fulfillment. It's almost like the, uh, like a non-malicious, a, a sort of benevolent meaning of this would be like when you do a task in your daily life and then you add it to your to-do list just to cross it off. Like that's the first mm. thing that kind of comes to my mind of like, mm-hmm. it's something that I have doing. done that. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> It's some, but, but like in a more in a more uh, tragic way, a, a surrogate activity, I think, especially as it pertains to our relationship with social media, is like berating people on the Internet or like piling on various Internet villains. So, I mean, over the course of the last decade, all of us can think of a bunch of people that we had maybe never even heard of before until they became uh, the the villain of the Internet. You know, mm. uh, over the I'm, I don't need to list all the people, but we can all think of people who had been kind of irrelevant. Uh, maybe we had heard of them, but they're not really a big deal um, until they became, you know, the main character on Twitter for a day or they became a really famous YouTuber and did something dumb and then became, you know, then somehow they got themselves on Good Morning America and not in a good way. And so mm. I think we have this I think a surrogate activity that many of us often engage in in the 21st century is engaging with these internet villains in a surrogate activity sort of way, using the term that the Unabomber kind of popularized, to just like punch these inflatable clowns that are these internet villains to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and to communicate what we value, often called like virtue signaling, to communicate, hey, I think I care about this, and I'm going to tell you that I care about this by telling you how stupid this other person is. And then we we punch the inflatable clown, and it just pops right back up. Because in a week, we're going to find another internet villain that we decide to pummel to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and to signal our virtues to people who follow us. And I, I see this a lot. I see it in, in Christian Twitter a lot, especially. It's like there's always a thing of the day or a person of the week who like, hey, let's pile on this person or this topic or this thing today. And we often do it to kind of earn cheap internet points, which are fake and don't matter. Um, But we do it also to feel good about ourselves. And I think this is all a result of the fact that a lot of us maybe are just kind of bored with our lives and and want want, want to feel a part of something bigger. And this is the thing we've decided is is bigger than ourselves. Yeah, and so I have I had this conversation in mind yesterday as I was listening um, to um, an NPR interview with a pastor in Ukraine, um, and he uh, he is in a city where the citizens are divided between those who support Ukraine and actually those who support Russia. So it's it's one of those border communities in terms of the conflict, and um, and he talked about. Um, how all of that disappears because they're all just trying to survive. Yeah. And and he talks about everybody's living in basements in the dark um seeking to simply survive. And this image was really like profound to me and 
everyone is running toward the sound of exploding munitions because they hope that it will provide for them something they can haul back to the bunker to burn as fuel. No one cares if the guy running next to him trying to grab a, a tree limb to burn and survive is on his side of the conflict or not. They're just all trying to survive. And I thought to myself, these are people who um, have real concerns. And, right. uh, and, and, uh, and this is happening right now. And one year ago, they were living like us. One, yeah. one year one year ago they were living like we're living right now and um and now they're just hoping for a stick of firewood to survive one more day and they're relying on bombs being shot across the border um to splinter a tree because they don't have fuel to run their chainsaws like it's crazy and then we look at the earthquake the aftermath of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria and I'm just like these are people who were living like us a week ago a week ago, they were living like us. And now, I mean, literally talk about just trying to survive. Um, and so I just felt like your piece was really good in terms of like, you know, just we just invent struggle. We invent struggle because we have so little real struggle. And so um, I thought it was a really helpful perspective piece. Um, now, let's pivot to another um, another conversation in 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 your posts as well. And this is about how long my tweets can now be. Um, am I still restricted to 280 characters or do I get longer tweets? Uh, I, I'm, if you are, um, mm-hmm. I'm not fancy subs- enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, to, if you're subscribed to Twitter blue and you're paying seven or $8 a month, you may no. have access. Uh, so yeah, you do not then, um, <laughs> it, the, the, the ability to write longer tweets with 500 plus word posts is actually, I think, 4,000 characters rather than 280 characters. Quite an increase. Um, the 4,000 character tweet limit is being tested among a group of paying Twitter Blue subscribers. Um, and what's interesting, I've come across a few of them in my feed, is it shows you the first, you know, maybe three or 400 characters. So the, the initially these tweets look just a little bit longer than the average tweet. And then there's a little tag, a little link that says read more that you have to click to actually mm. read the whole tweet. Obviously, because if you had a 4,000 character tweet that just showed the whole thing on your Twitter screen, I mean, you'd have to like scroll three mm-hmm. full scrolls just to get past it. So um, while I think this is a terrible user experience decision in general, <laughs> they at least realize that maybe we shouldn't display the whole thing. And I read a story this morning, actually, that um, the new leader of Twitter, I think his name is something like Musk or Husker <laughs> Musk, I think um, he uh, he gave he gave the developers, you know, the four that are left there at Twitter about a month to make this happen. And there's a lot of clamor internally that like, yeah, he's really like pushing this out the door and it's not really ready yet. So it's surely going to have some issues down the road just in terms of the overall usability of the platform. I can tell you what, I'm never going to click read more on a tweet. I'll just click the block button of whoever tweeted that read more 4,000 character uh, tweet. I'm just not interested. And I I am really, in a bigger picture perspective, I'm, um, nobody's really asking for this. So I'm really interested to see how many more decisions are made like this about Twitter moving forward and what it means for the platform in the next year uh because 
as I predicted in my social media predictions earlier uh, a month ago, uh, I said that I don't think I don't think Twitter is going to look dramatically different in the next year. And that's already maybe starting to prove wrong. But I'm just curious to see, like, how many people are actually going to do that? Um, and, and I don't know. I don't know what it's going to mean. And, and I just wonder about technical issues for Twitter moving forward. I mean, Twitter was down for a solid hour or two just the other day, which which is used to be unheard of. Um but has already happened once this week. So I'm curious to see. And uh, I'm I'm also wondering how many more features they're going to add that few people are asking for. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. really all we need is like an edit button, which maybe already exists and I just haven't been paying attention. All right. Chris Sorry, Martin's paying pay $8 way. $8 a month. <laughs> yeah, I'm not paying. I'm not paying that. All right. So you have to edit your thoughts in advance of hitting post. Um, we're going to continue our conversation here with Chris Martin and his Terms of Service blog in just a moment. Um, maybe we uh, have a little conversation about how social media is impacting the conversations of the day, particularly when disaster strikes, like what we are um, witnessing and processing and how we are responding even to the most recent natural disaster, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Um, a lot of a lot of things going on on social media. So maybe we'll have that conversation with Chris next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Now I'm alive and born again, rescued from the grip of sin. Everyone in Duluth, Minnesota, uh, I need you to take a trip and have a meal at Bridgman's. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently there is a strawberry rhubarb pie there that is now, um, it's like, seriously, do you know how that, the back of your jaw gets going when you even think about strawberry rhubarb pie, you know, and your, like your saliva gets, yeah, mm mm-hmm. So Bridgman's in Duluth, Minnesota, we are headed your way at some point. I will tell you guys why in just a minute, but Bridgman's in Duluth, Minnesota, put it on your must visit list. Chris Martin is here. Um, Terms of Service blog also serves at Moody Publishers. His social media is his area of, well, exploration and really serious expertise, like much more so than anybody else I know. All right. There's a guy on Twitch, which Chris, let me just go ahead and say, not super familiar with this. Uh, not Don't know a lot about Twitch. But there's a guy on Twitch raising real money for relief in Syria and Turkey. Talk with us about the role social media um, plays now when disaster strikes. Yeah, um, Twitch Twitch is a stream a video streaming platform started out as actually something called Justin TV, named after the founder. <laughs> uh, gosh, I want to say I want to say it launched twenty. 11, 10, something like that. Um, and uh, originally was and, and still is dominated by people streaming themselves playing video games, um, but was much more dominated by that until probably four or five years ago. And it's become more of just a live streaming platform in general uh, for people doing all kinds of things, but um, playing music, having little talk shows, podcasts, that sort of thing. Um, and I'll, in fact, what 
an evolution that's happened on Twitch, just to get a little bit nerdy on social media stuff here for a second, an evolution that's happened on Twitch over the years is a lot of the a lot of the guys and gals who were streaming video streaming themselves playing video games back when Twitch was just beginning and was just in TV before it was acquired by Amazon, which it was. Um they, you know, that when they were 18, 19, first streaming on Twitch back in those days, they were streaming themselves playing video games. And these days they're more streaming themselves, uh, scrolling, looking at things on the internet, reacting to videos, or talking about current events and cultural issues. And that's the case with this person's name is Hassan Piker. Now, Hassan is a very controversial streamer for a handful of reasons, mostly his radical socialist political views. Um, and so he's He's from, uh, I think, Turkey himself and is just a, a self, self-described self uh, radical socialist. And so um, he's usually talking about politics and things like that these days rather than playing video games, which is what he was known for about a decade ago. But he does a really good job, regardless of what anyone thinks of his political views or persuasions. He does a really good job of rallying his fans around causes that he thinks are important. And in this case given his roots in the region, he's been raising a ton of money for the Turkey-Syria earthquake that just happened this week. Um, and actually, this article that that we were sending back and forth from Yahoo so shows that he raised over $800,000. I've seen numbers over the course of the last uh, evening. Like last night, I was looking at some numbers that it's actually over a million dollars now. Um, and he's been raising tons of money for relief uh, in in the area uh, because of the earthquake, which is tremendous. And I'm I'm grateful, even though I don't share all of Hassan's uh, pretty radical political views. I'm really grateful that he's taken his influence and done something uh, incredibly constructive with it and served not only people who deserve to be served because of their humanity, but people who are, are um, his, his people. He's, he's from the area and, and he's, he's serving his home country and region uh, by, by raising this money and, and using his influence, not just for his own uh, fame and, and riches, but for, for their good. And I think that's one of the best things about social media. You know, a lot of our discussions on social, uh, about social media on the show are about the negatives and things that maybe we don't realize that it's doing to us. And, and that's, I think that's important because of, I think a lot of times we just ignore the negative sides of social media and we should drag them into the light. But one of the things I love about social media is how it can be such a rallying force around causes like this when people are experiencing real hardship. I saw it around, I mean, anybody paying attention saw it around Ukraine around this time last year when the invasion first happened, um, almost exactly, almost a year ago, a couple of weeks. Um, and around, uh, yeah, just around, I mean, even around COVID, around, around when we were just rallying around doctors and nurses in the earliest days of COVID, I thought social media was really beautiful, really beautiful in that moment. So um, I think this is one of the coolest parts of social media. And it's been, it's been heartwarming this week uh seeing such tragic uh images and numbers out of the turkey syria region following the earthquake it's been encouraging to see some people really step up and help them yeah i um the power of social media both to sort of like let us in to spaces and places um and moments in time that are heartbreaking and horrific but then also um moments in time that are heroic and hopeful um and then to enable us to actually positively respond um, in real time, uh, pretty pretty extraordinary. So, <clears throat> thank you for helping us um, see see into that. Chris, anything else today that you're like? All right, I really wanted to talk about this, and she hasn't asked. Uh, nothing that I like really want to talk about, but I, I think something that we will uh, bigger than the metaverse, bigger than crypto. You know, we had a lot of discussion in the last few 
months and, and last year or so about the metaverse, especially because everybody was making a big stink about it in the last year. Um, all of that's going to be left in the dust by the developments we're seeing in artificial intelligence related to search um, in particular. I think that in five years, our Google and search experience, whether through Google or Bing, perhaps more likely Bing now, we'll see, uh, will be radically different. And I think we'll be searching things and clicking on far fewer links. Uh, and I think that's going to dramatic. I think I think we are on the verge of a radical transformation of how we use the Internet. And it has nothing to do, by God's grace, with Mark Zuckerberg or badly rendered graphical avatars. I think it has a lot more to do with text and search engine technology. And I think it's real. I think we're going to really change how we use the Internet through search in the next five or so years and perhaps even sooner. Well, my experience, my personal experience of it be different. Like, you know, like I go to Google and I search something, my ex my actual user experience will be different. Yeah. So I think, for instance, like if you wanted like uh, if you Google like best chocolate chip cookie recipe tonight, yeah. you know, hey, I want to make some chocolate chip cookies. You'd be returned with a thousand, a hundred thousand pages of links and you'd probably click one of the first three you saw. Um, right. I think in five years you could Google or Bing, <laughs> Bing as a verb, that's weird. Uh, you could search on the internet, best chocolate chip cookie recipe, and it would just return a recipe for you that you knew was the best one because it was the one it returned. And you wouldn't click on a single link and have to scroll mm. through somebody's mm. life story that precedes that recipe. Um, mm. so and so figuring could, out or gaming how to be that, how to, how to is, uh, uh, yeah, right? That's, that's uh, going to yeah. be the trick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the search becomes a whole lot more competitive. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Best live Christian radio show. Yeah. I mean, you know, quit looking, right? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I got Oh, Chris, um, thank you so much. Uh, listeners texting, asking, all right, when are you going to talk about his book? Because we want to know about the wolf in their pockets. Well, we will do that in an upcoming week. Um, Chris, as always, thank you so much for joining us and what you're doing every single day to help us um, engage as Christians in the world of social media. We're going to be looking for the wolf in their pockets, Chris's forthcoming book. In the meantime, you could read Terms of Service, both the book and the blog on Substack. All the links will be in the show notes for today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Okay, apparently everybody but me already knew about Bridgman's in Duluth. Tons of people on the text line um, loving on Bridgman's in Duluth. And I think I have them convinced to bring the food truck Uh huh. the next time we have a, a share event, a fundraiser for Faith Radio. So there you go. Um, good morning, Duluth, and good morning to you wherever you are. Thank you so much for spending this time together. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.